Well, good morning, friends. Please do make sure you've got a Bible in front of you. There's still a pile of church Bibles at the back of the room. It'd be a great help if you could keep John's gospel open so that you can see which are my words and which are the Lord Jesus' words. John's gospel, chapter 8, page 894 in the Visitor's Bibles. And we come this morning to verses 31 to 59. John chapter 8, let me remind you what happened in verse 30. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. But we've seen that already, haven't we, in this book? Many believe in him. Jesus seems quite wary of what is in mankind. So verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father. You do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I go out of God's, and I'm here. I came not from myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of himself, out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, 
as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he's our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his words. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went down to the temple. Let's pray. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. Lord God, we pray that that would be true for every one of us today. And as we cry out in our souls to you as our Father, adopted through your Spirit, we pray, Lord, that we would know that wonderful freedom in the bottom of our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. About two and a half millennia ago, a man named Plato told a story. It was about a band of human beings. For as long as they could remember, they had lived their lives in a dark cave. Now, we would look at those human beings, and we would say that their life was heartbreaking. They were chained by the legs and by the neck so that all they could look at were the shadows on the cave wall. We would say... Those men are slaves. The thing is, they didn't think they were anything of the sort. For as long as they could remember, this dark cave had been their life. Those shadows on the wall had been their world. The chains were just part of what it was for them to be human. And if you came to one of those men offering them a key and told them that on the outside there was a hole beautiful world bursting with color and laughter and light, they would have thought you were mad and gone back to watching their daytime TV on the cave shadows. That, for them, was the real world. The cave was their prison, but to them, the prison had almost become invisible. And according to Plato, only a philosopher would ever have been brave enough to explore the light and then you'd be doomed to try in vain to lead the others out into it. If you forced one of them to turn around, the light would have been so bright and searing that they would have run back into the darkness. And if you went back in pity to try and drag one of those fellow inmates out into the real world, almost certainly they'd try to kill you, thinking the light has just driven you insane. This is the world. Well, the rest of John chapter 8 tells an extraordinary story, and it has a lot of similarities, doesn't it? Last week, we met those prisoners in the cave. Three times, Jesus warned them that this world and all of us who belong to it 
will die in our sins unless we receive him as God. Because there is someone who's come down greater than any philosopher, the eternal son of the father, the one true light of the whole world, the very same burning light who led God's people out of the land of slavery all those centuries before and led them into the land that promised eternal rest. And today he offers those prisoners something truly wonderful to any who will follow his light. I can set you free forever to live in such light and life and love that you would never want for anything else. And best of all, what I can give you is the right to truly belong. No imposter syndrome. No doubts that it all might one day be taken away from you. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You will be a son forever in the sun. It's a truly wonderful thing to give, isn't it? And yet, what is the response from the people in the cave? Well, when he had pointed down at their chains last week, he had their attention, verse 30. Many believed in him. But we've seen Jesus' skepticism of Israel's belief already in this book, haven't we? He knows what is in all man. And so today he talks to these new believers, verse 31. All of this is addressed to people who seem to be believers. And he says, here is what it will look like if you are truly my disciples, those who listen to me and follow. That's what a disciple is, isn't it? A follower. Those who follow where only the light of the world could ever lead out into truth and freedom. And almost immediately, verse 33, the prisoners in the cave begin to bristle with indignation. And by the end of the chapter, the people who believe in him are picking up stones to bludgeon him to death. Jesus has come to give something truly, truly wonderful, and yet they cannot see it, cannot bear it, he says, because the prison walls have become invisible to them. This world of sin and death and deceit is all we've ever known. Two things then that John shows us as chapter 8 draws to a close, the depths of human needs and the height of Jesus' grace. First, verses 31 to 47, the depth of our need, because the only thing more heartbreaking than being trapped in a prison of sin and death and deceit is to live in that prison and think that this is the best life has to give us. And so here is Jesus' message to mankind. Even though you don't know it, you really do need to be set free by a true son. What is a true disciple? It's someone who abides or remains in Jesus' word. If you are truly my disciples, he says, you'll persevere following my light wherever I lead. That's the person who knows the truth and is set free by it. So real faith isn't really about believing true things about God. It's more than that. It's receiving, following the one who is the truth. Do you see how in verse 32, it's the truth that sets us free? 
But in verse 36, it's the Son who sets us free. So there's a particular truth that frees human beings. The truth is Jesus himself. All that he was revealing about himself last time, that he is the divine Son of God, the one sent from heaven to storm the walls of our prison and lead us out where only he could ever lead, into God's rest. But it's as if he's sawn through the bars on the cell window and he's hanging out there with his rope made of tied-up bedsheets, holding out a hand to the inmates. And immediately, verse 33, they look at him and say, what's wrong with you? This isn't a prison, it's a palace. Look at all the pretty posters I've stuck up on my cell walls. So how do you free someone who won't accept that they're a slave? In Israel's case, it's a tragic false assurance that's holding them chained. We are Abraham's children. We've never been slaves. And that is an absurd level of self-denial, isn't it? Because if there's one thing that has dominated Israel's history, it's been slavery. From the very beginning when they were forced to bake bricks in Egypt to the very end when they sat down and wept by the rivers of Babylon and their captives forced them to sing the songs of Zion. Now they know that. Obviously, they're speaking here in a kind of spiritual sense, aren't they? We might be slaves to the Romans right now, but we're not slaves in here. We're the ones God chose. Abraham's offspring are God's children. There's a sense of religious privilege that runs so deep in them that they can't even see their needs. And that can creep into a lot of us, can't it? I'm up to my neck in church. I always have been. I get up early. I set up. I make the coffee. I stack the chairs. I play in the band. I have done all my life. I'm here to make sure that church keeps running for the outsiders, the visitors. It's them who need all of this. And so Jesus has to point out the monster in our lives that we've grown so used to, we don't even see it. The greatest slave master in this world isn't a government. It's not the Romans or the Babylonians or Putin or Xi Jinping. The thing that holds human beings slaves isn't authoritarian rules coming out of Westminster. It isn't cancel culture. It isn't poverty. The thing that enslaves us most is actually something we quite like which makes it the most addictive power on earth, sin. We might think of our sin the way a gambler thinks of his cards, like we can control it, we can walk away from it whenever we choose. Jesus says, no, sin controls you. And its price is the thing he pointed out so clearly last week. Because sin holds us, then eventually judgment and death will get the better of us. And so however attractive life looks when we follow our own rules, ultimately that life is slavery, not freedom. It only ends one way. And if you don't believe it, try to go for one day without thinking or feeling or doing anything that you'd be ashamed of other people knowing. We know we can't do it, don't we? We might pretend not to see the prison walls, but we know that we're trapped. 
We're born into a self-centered world with bars on the window and no door. Even those of us born into the most wonderful religious privilege on earth. And if we're slaves, then all of that religious privilege is not something we'll be able to cling onto forever. A slave might live and work in a house, but it isn't his home. At the end of the day, he just belongs to someone like property belongs. And so he never truly belongs to anyone. He can always just be sold on to the next person. Whereas a son, he belongs in a completely different way, doesn't he? I wonder how much deep down the real ache inside us is just a longing to belong somewhere to someone because that's ultimately what it means to be free. It's counterintuitive. All those poor kids desperately trying to forge an identity in our culture to fit in somewhere. There's always been some easy answer our culture gives to that. Maybe in a previous age, you'd belong by joining a tighter religious group. Or in the 80s or the 90s, the kids who felt all alone could find friendship with the emos or the goths. In the 2000s, it could be a sexual identity. Now it's something even darker, isn't it? But anything to belong somewhere, whatever the cost to our bodies, our souls, we long for it. And so what a wonderful, wonderful thing the true Son of God came to give human beings I will give you the right to be children of God, to belong where I have belonged forever, in the love I have always known. It's a belonging so deep and secure that you will never have to worry about your place ever again because you didn't have to earn it. The Son gave it to you. You will never again have to fear that if you put a foot out of line, or wear the wrong clothes, or get something embarrassingly wrong, or you misspeak, or you mess up in a shameful way, that you're going to be cast outside of the group. Because to belong like that, that at last is freedom, isn't it? Isn't it strange? The most beautiful freedom we could ever know, we get not by going our own way, but by following someone else where he leads, and trusting him. And I suspect for most of us Christians that that freedom is actually way more radical than we've fully realized. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. It doesn't mean you're sinless, not yet at least, but something utterly radical has happened. So your identity, your nature suddenly it is actually possible to break the habit, break the hold that sin has. All of a sudden, when you are tempted, when you feel trapped by sin, it is actually possible to say, look who I am. I'm a son now, not a slave. I have the son living in me. I can grow into this family of love, more like my elder brother. And not always, not yet perfectly, but truly, I can say no. 
I can fight back. I can resist. There is never, ever a sin that I have to say yes to. There's always an escape in God's grace. Always a way out. And when I fall and I'm ashamed, I can stand up again and I'm as loved as ever I was. That's freedom. The most wonderful and radical thing that can ever happen to a fallen human being the day you were adopted through the true son was your emancipation day. And the disciples who abide, who remain, are the ones who know what they've been set free from. Wouldn't everyone want that? Well, not if you won't accept the depths of our needs. And so Jesus makes his basic point in verse 37 to 38, your privilege does not make you as free as you think it does. Yes, ethnically, I know you're sons of Abraham, but you're not acting like free sons. In fact, verse 39, you don't look anything like this family, like Abraham, because the word of God came to you from heaven, just like it came to Abraham. I called you to follow me, just like I called him. But what did you do? Well, verse 37, you sought to kill me. That's not what Abraham did. He followed. But my word doesn't remain in you. In fact, it has no place in you at all. And then in verse 38, he says what must be the most offensive thing Jesus ever says. A person's actions flow from a person's origins, like father, like son. And that implies that your true paternal origins are something radically different to mine. It might be Abraham written on your birth certificate, and you're putting an awful lot of confidence in that, turning down the chance of freedom because you think you were born into it. But everything I see as I look at you tells another story of another father. There's Jesus' basic points. But that is a deeply offensive claim, isn't it? You're not the children you think you are. And so in verses 39 to 44, he lays out the evidence that makes him question their paternity so confidently. What makes a true member of the House of Windsor? Well, according to the tabloids, it's large jug ears and male pattern baldness. And when they see a prince with a bit of ginger hair, it sets the tongues wagging, doesn't it? What makes a true child of God, verse 42? Well, there is one killer family trait. If God is your father, you love Jesus Christ. No exceptions. Because the son and the father look just the same, verse 42. In eternity, God the son flows from the father's very own nature. And here in time, he's been sent to us by the father in visible flesh and blood, to storm the walls of our prison, free us from sin and death and self-denial forever. Who wouldn't love that? And so the acid test of Abraham's spiritual children, God's true children, is that you love his true son. And when you hear the son speak, verse 47, you know his voice straight away. God's true children, number one, they love the son who brings life. 
And God's true children, number two, they love the truth when he speaks it. But what does Jesus see when he looks around? Well, verse 40, he sees people who hate the son so much they want to kill him. And verse 43, they hate the truth so much that they cannot bear it. Any more than those prisoners in the cave could bear hearing about the light. How dare you say that we are slaves? We can't bear it. But you see, those are all the family traits of the devil himself. Just as God the Son flows out of the Father's own nature, so a hatred of the truth and a hatred of life flow out of the devil's own nature, verse 44. He has been at it right from the beginning. The first words out of his mouth were a lie about God's truth. And the first thing he did was to plunge mankind into death, murder, a hatred of life, and a hatred of truth. And here is the most shocking thing of all. Human beings, by our nature, are so like him, so like that demonic spiritual father, that his lies and self-denial have become our native language as well. Have a look at verse 45. There's one word in that sentence that is deeply strange and deeply alarming. Do you see it? Verse 45, because. It's because Jesus tells the truth that we can't bear listening to him. Isn't that strange? By nature, we are such strangers to God, and denial comes so naturally to us that we cannot accept the Son who is goodness and truth himself. There are many, many people in this world whose belief is just as heartfelt and sincere as those in verse 31. They believe in Jesus, sincere Jehovah's Witnesses, who believe in Jesus but won't accept him as fully God. Sincere liberal Christians who believe in Jesus, but they won't accept him as the one light for all the world. And Jesus says that kind of belief, however sincere, isn't saving belief at all. It's the kind of belief that the devil whispers to human beings day and night. Take Jesus by all means, enjoy him, but don't love him or worship him as Lord. So there then is the depth of human need. Even though we know it, we don't know it, sorry. Even though we're prisoners down here and blind, we really, really do need to be set free by a true son. Well, in some ways, it's a gloomy message, isn't it? But I wonder if hidden in the seeming hopelessness as the chapter closes, you notice what a remarkable goodness and kindness and strength we get to see in the way Jesus responds to these people. His argument has been devastating, and all they can do in verse 48 is respond by hurling insults at him, first a racist slur, then a blasphemous one. There are some words that still really shock us, aren't there? A little while back, there was a child in one of our kids' classes who used the N-word in front of the others, and even in a playground full of children who have heard it all, 
that word still has the power to truly shock, and none of them would put up with it. And verse 48 is on that kind of scale. First, they throw the S word at Jesus, the Samaritan word, presumably because he's been questioning their legitimacy. The Jews and the Samaritans, they both claim to be the legitimate people of God, don't they? And even worse, they throw the D word at him. They respond to truth himself, the grace of heaven himself, by calling him demonic. But I think it's there in verses 48 to 59 that we get to see the height of Jesus' grace. Even though you insult him, John is saying, there really is still time to rejoice in the eternal Son. Even now, even when you're this lost, you can abandon the lies and embrace the Son with joy and confess it all to him and find a place to belong. Do you see how incredibly kind and measured Jesus' response is to those terrible slurs? I am simply speaking the truth, verse 49, honoring what my Father has given me to say, and you dishonor me. But I don't seek my own glory, verse 50. Here's why he doesn't need to punch back. When they spit at Jesus, they spit at the Father himself, and the Father will one day judge all things, including everyone who dishonors his boy. And so Jesus can leave his own honor and glory to the judge. And instead, verse 51, even now, under those terrible, terrible slurs, even now he reaches out again. Truly, truly, he says, really deeply, urgently, friends, listen to me. If anyone keeps my word, follows my light, even you now, he will never see death. You truly can be free. Isn't that remarkable? Who of us would answer back like that? And it goes for even the most hard-hearted insulters of Jesus you've ever met, the ones who think that they're already Christians. It's not too late to abandon that prison of lies. Take my hand, says Jesus, and live forever. But the response is to laugh. No human being can free us from death. Who do you think you are claiming to give a kind of freedom that even Abraham and the prophets never knew? Who do you make yourself out to be? And once again, the reply from Jesus is patience and restraint beyond belief. He's told them who he is repeatedly. And so now it's as if he says, I don't need to answer that. My father, who you claim to love and worship, he will glorify me one day. He will show you who I am. Maybe when I'm lifted up to die and enthroned on a cross, maybe then you'll see it. But if you really knew him like I know him, you'd see that glory right now. Here then is how you know someone has truly been set free from sin and death and the devil to belong to Jesus. You know it because you can see them rejoicing in him. What makes a true spiritual child of Abraham? Well, 
Abraham was a man who lived a long, hard life. He gave up his home and his land and his father's house. He got a lot of things wrong, but he was marked, according to Jesus, by one thing, and that was joy in what he'd gained. From a long way off, through all those shadows and promises, from a distance, he saw the Son of God. He saw the lamb God would provide one day to ransom his own. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, he was freed, forgiven. Abraham saw God the Son, and he rejoiced. And because God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, Abraham was still seeing and rejoicing in Jesus Christ, even as Jesus spoke these words to Abraham's descendants. And all that sounds utterly laughable to them. Come on, Jesus, everyone knows Abraham was a hero way back in the Old Testament. There was no Jesus in the Old Testament. It does sound laughable, doesn't it, to say that Abraham saw Jesus? But if you know who Jesus is, then suddenly it's their words that seem like a joke. They look into the face of the Ancient of Days, and they say to him, you're not yet 50 years old. How did you see Abraham? It's ridiculous, isn't it? But it's always that way when people laugh at Jesus. Remember that. They will seem so confident, and Jesus' claims will seem so laughable and absurd. But they're laughing from inside a prison cell, which they can't even see the walls of anymore. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham ever was, I am. I am the eternal son who spoke to Moses from the burning bush and led Israel behind that burning light and gave joy unspeakable to your father Abraham. And that same eternal son is the one speaking to you now. Who do you make yourself out to be, Jesus? I am who I am. And even now, it is not too late to rejoice in me, just like your father did. But no, they pick up stones because what Jesus has said there is so utterly clear that they cannot bear it. He's claiming without a shadow of a doubt to be of one nature with the eternal God. And it is so blindingly truthful that it burns. Sometimes as a parent, you have to deal with a child who is so trapped in an angry mess that they are kicking and screaming and shouting at you, and all you can do is hold them tight while they fight. And there's something like that here, isn't there, in how Jesus talks back to these people. He is so strong and kind and glorious all in himself that he doesn't need to hit back and defend himself just Keep faithfully offering them a way down out of that blind, angry mess. And I think it's incredibly helpful for us to keep that picture in our minds. When people are lashing out at Jesus, what is it they need? They need the Son of God to open their eyes, to help them out of the cave. We can invite them. We can read the Bible with them. We can bring them to church. 
if we aren't praying for them, we clearly haven't understood either how dark this prison is. And if we are here this morning rejoicing in the sun, then it can only mean he has done something wonderful for us. He has stormed the walls and set us free from our own web of lies. Otherwise, we would be as lost as everyone else. There's nothing to be proud of. But who the sun sets free truly is free. You are home. So when you feel trapped and guilty and like an imposter, like you don't belong, come and embrace the sun all over again and remember who you are in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that for us who love you as God and Savior, it means that in sheer mercy and grace, you have set us free from a prison of lies and given us a home where we belong. We're sorry, Lord, that so often we still think and behave as if you were not God of gods and as if we were still mere slaves. So help us, we pray, when we feel trapped in sin and lies, to know who we truly are and that it is always possible now in your grace to resist our old natures and to rejoice in the Son who set us free. Amen.